know about magic. I... I always called it The Shining. And yeah, we both shine. Do your parents know? About my shine? They don't talk about it. Or if I use it, they look at me different. When I was a kid, I didn't understand The Shining. I called it Tony. I thought he was my imaginary friend. I thought you were my imaginary friend. For a long time. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. This is Cheap Seat Reviews. A poo-pooer of the Kubrick. Yeah, I watched this a couple days ago, and uh, the only thing that's prevented me from having a good night's sleep is my dog. So. Mm, yes, please. Hello, and thank you for listening to Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. So now imagine a voice inside your head saying the greater good. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when 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 shining voice happens, it's like it's more present. It's it's right. It's like clear. It's it's like right on the mic. Oh, I'm sorry. That was loud. (laughs) That was pretty bad. Yeah. Oh, I just exploded everybody's eardrums. I no, that's that's a that's a Microsoft Xbox gaming headset versus a uh, you know three hundred dollar mic hanging from you. Oh, over there. There's there's that. Except. Yeah. Um, mine was free. Uh, this is episode 367, <laughs> and tonight we're talking about Dr. Sleep, paging mm-hmm. Dr. Sleep. I am it's all about a sleep apnea and machines that you can use to help you breathe at night. You know what? You're not wrong. That's exactly what this movie is. <laughs> it's all about those things, those breathing breathing thingies. You have one of those. Don't you have one of those breathing thingies? I certainly do. It has saved my life. That's awesome. I'm really glad. Because my wife would eventually kill me uh, from my snoring. <laughs> from the snoring. Can I get one for my dog? Because she snores really loud. Should I get one for my dog? I don't know. It probably, probably helps. She'd sleep better. Yeah, i just throw my socks at her or something to kind of wake her up. I am <laughs> Sean Allred, and joining me tonight is, unfortunately not Andrew, um, again, oh. working on this Masters, life is hard, things get in the way, and so, not Andrew tonight. But no. we do have, as you can tell, Sam, this movie yes. is a seatbelt PSA vector. Is, isn't all movies seatbelt PSAs? I mean, isn't that one of the most common tropes you see in, in anything dealing with car crashes yeah. and, and intentional car crashes? Right and Sean, yeah. By the way, uh-huh. um, I saw that uh, that you've been playing baseball real well lately. So um, I need to uh, to stake you to the ground over here and, and stab you in in places that will really really hurt, oh. um, so that I can uh, smell your breath. Apparently, that scene, man, that scene was rough. Oh, brutal! It's brutal. Brutal. Oh my goodness! And yeah. <laughs> I don't really know how to to, to transition from that because that scene is like the only horror scene in the movie, and it it's effective. That that scene was very effective. Uh, and making his cheap seat reviews debut is TV's Travis will never stick his hand in a filing cabinet again from the wait you haven't seen podcast. Yeah, I'm never sticking my hand in a file cabinet ever. Like degloving is one of those things I can't handle, and that was yeah, yeah. the second most difficult thing in this movie to watch behind oh. 
behind the scene where they stake the kid to the ground. Yeah. Yeesh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hand, hand torture, degloving. Mm. I've never heard it referred to that way, but yeah, no, I've, I've heard that in the construction industry, there's a, there's a reason why a lot of guys oh. don't wear their wedding rings. And yeah. it's because, because of that, that, that you basically get skinned alive. If, if your ring gets caught in something, it'll pull yep. the skin right off your finger. See why I, I, um, so before the job I have now, I did a lot of AV installs. And so I was a lot of, you know, I was working in the ceiling a lot with some power mm-hmm. tools, nothing crazy, you know, hand mm-hmm. drills and mm-hmm. things like that. And, but uh, my wife heard a story about someone having their, their wedding band get caught and ripping the knuckle off basically. And so that's why she bought me this, this silicone band. Yeah. And I wear yeah. it all the smart. time for that reason. Because totally if, smart. Yeah. If yep. it gets caught, yep. it's just going to rip off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Travis, thank you for coming on the show. We're very excited to have you on. Well, thank you for having me on. I was, uh, I was very, uh, excited when you mentioned that you wanted to, to do something spooky for Halloween season. And yeah. we got to talking and Dr. Sleep came up and I'm like, let's do it because I got, I got things to say about this. One. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear of those things that you're going to say. And yeah, I, I can't remember how we, I think we were talking about, we were negotiating. See, again, I've, I've mentioned this before. Usually what happens is I'll approach someone and say, Hey, let's do a movie. And then they always respond with, well, it's your show. You tell me what you want to do. And then I'll <laughs> usually respond with, here are four or five movies that we would like, you know, that we're, we're thinking about that's just on our list of movies to do. And then I'll sure. let them pick one of those. And mm-hmm. I think you were actually a little bit more proactive. And I said, hey, we're, we're looking at some stuff in October. And you said, well, have you done The Shining? I think. I can't remember how it worked. But I said, no, but we, we, we do want to, we have done The Shining, but we haven't seen Dr. Sleep. And I think you were like, that's the one we're doing. Yeah. Um, awesome. Because Absolutely. now, now, are you a Shining fan? Are you? I am. That enjoys it. Okay, because because Sean over there is is a a doubter. He is a uh, a poo pooer of the Kubrick, and uh, it makes me a little sad at times. But uh, there's well, a, you know, we're we're all entitled to wrong opinions. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that at all. Perfect. I I'm a I'm a Kubrick fan in general. I actually was lucky enough to see. Um, I think every one of his movies, except I did not watch Eyes Wide Shut on a big screen um, okay. about 10 or so years ago in a local film festival um, that we have here every year, was doing a, an all Stanley Kubrick retrospective. So I got to see 2001 on a big screen with a oh, wow. wonderful sound system. And I got to see Barry Lyndon and, and uh, Dr. Strangelove and all of them. I think the only ones, I think Eyes Wide Shut was the only one I didn't watch that week. Um, and The Shining was one of those, and and I've loved that movie forever, just because I think it's it, it's a great atmosphere for a movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I I I feel like I'm gonna have to defend myself some. Um, no, no, but, no, no. You, there's no defending that. Well, it's, no. Uh, well, there's also a, there's an entire podcast of my views and opinions on it, so it's not like I can retract anything. I'll just <laughs> I'll just simply say. I think that the film itself is 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 a very beautifully shot, well done, well acted, well executed. Just I was bored and I didn't think it was scary. And I think that's a product of just having seen other things, you know, since then because again, I I watched The Shining for the first time 2 years ago for the podcast. And yeah. Well, there is something to part. be said. Yeah. There's something to be said about the 70s style movies. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that took their time. They they or they all 80s. take their time. Yeah, 
Well, um, and even Kubrick Spielberg more than stuff. anybody. Yeah. Like, oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I've had I've done a couple of Spiel, old Spielberg and I've done a couple of uh, Kubrick films um, on my show, and it's the same thing. You know, the whole premise of my show is, is somebody seeing something for the first time. So when I did 2001, it was somebody seeing it in the year 2020, and oh, yeah. how different that's going to be than somebody seeing that movie in the six, you know, late 60s, early 70s, or when I saw it in the 90s. So I totally get that. Like those movies were slow burn. They were a very different thing. And that's going to play into it. When, when you see a movie is going to play into how you, how it feels for you. And and that kind of makes it. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about talking about Dr. Sleep is how you bridge that gap, right? You've got Mm -hmm. the shining Mm -hmm. in 1970s, a Kubrick film. How do you bring some of that style into a film that will talk to those 2019 audiences? Yep. Right. And, and I, I think it's fascinating some of the choices that they decided to do with this. So, um, I, I'm, I'm excited to, to jump in when, when yeah, we yeah, we, yeah, no, definitely. We're going to jump in all over this and I'm excited to talk about it too. And for the reason when, so I didn't know anything about Dr. Sleep. I remember when the commercials came out and they're saying Dr. Sleep, you know, St- Stephen King's Dr. Sleep. And I didn't know what it was. And mm-hmm. I heard a little bit like, oh, it's it's kind of a sequel to The Shining, but it was described to me as as it, it's just more like an. It was described to me incorrectly, basically, is what yeah. I was trying to say. It was it was it was poorly described. So going into it for this viewing, I had no expectations of it being good or bad. I had I just went in very slate clean, which is. I think kind of the good way, maybe the best way, yeah. because yeah. because what's happened is a lot of times with with when I when there's movies that I haven't seen that I have should have seen before and then I haven't and when I finally watch them I'm let down because of how much it was built up before I got to see it and my yep. expectations were this is this brilliant thing and and that's kind of what happened a little bit with the shining where it was i was it was sure. told i was told it's the scariest thing ever made mm-hmm. and i'm mm-hmm. and, yeah. and yeah. i was and never expectations play such a huge part yeah. in our movie going experience such a huge one and like i yep. i think that whoever or the if it's a single person or multiple people that told you like the shining is the scariest thing did you a disservice because i don't think of the shining as being scary in the traditional sense of a scary movie yeah yeah it's uh, it, it, it's more of a study of what can happen to somebody when they're isolated yeah. and how you can fall into that. But if you go into it with a different expectation, it's totally going to change things. If I tell somebody about, uh, you know, The Exorcist being the scariest movie I've ever seen um, and then they go and watch it and they're like, well, this is lame because they've grown up on <laughs> uh, the horror movies that are out today. And it's a different style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, expectations are so big in, in so many things. I mean, it, not only... It, in horror movies, but any movie, look at the 2016 Ghostbusters, for instance. If you look at that movie in a vacuum, it's funny. I had no problem with it. I enjoyed my time watching it. I don't mourn anything. But so many people have this expectation that it has to be what fits their idea of a new Ghostbusters movie, that they're, they've already decided what they're going to think of this movie before they see it. I see sure. that way too many times. And it's like, just go into a movie and watch it and have fun. Come out the other side and then decide if you like yeah. something or not. Don't yeah. make it, it, don't make up your mind before you've seen anything. 
And I think that's why J.J. Abrams and, and Disney had such a hard time with the Star Wars sequels with expectations out of, you know, out, through the roof and and doing fan service versus t- telling a decent story. Yeah. Um, yeah I could of, go on for an hour about that. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, yeah. we we have gone on so for several hours because we've we've reviewed we've done all three of the sequel uh, movies and. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, and it's really funny is if you look at list, go back and listen to our episodes in the moment. All, yeah. all four of us, three of us, whoever run the show, we all liked each one in the moment. And then once we backed up and looked at them from a thirty thousand foot view, which we've done kind oh. of recently, we're kind of like, hmm, mm-hmm. these three yeah, individual movies don't make a good trilogy. Um, no, uh, yeah. I mean, for, say what you will about the prequel trilogy, but Lucas at least had kind of an idea of where he wanted to go. I, well, I think he and, did. I think it's a yeah. I don't think the the, the problem with the trilo- the original, the, the the one, two, and three, isn't the the overall story arc. We knew that we got to have little kid Anakin to adult Anakin. Like we knew that going into it. The problem is all the ancillary stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. Jar Jar, well, midi chlorians. There's, there's yeah. a few of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I have my thoughts on George Lucas. He's a great idea man. I think his his screenwriting needs some work. Oh um, yeah, and world he needs some He's people to say no dialogue. Oh, yeah. But yeah. yes, that's what made the first trilogy work so well. Is there were some yep. people that could say no to him, and that makes yep. a difference. Well, yeah, because he hadn't made his billions yet. You know, I mean, right. he was just a dude. So mm-hmm. anyway. George Lucas yeah. has nothing to do with uh, Mike Flanagan's <laughs> Dr. Sleep. It's true. So I do want to say this, and I, I have not read either books of this, of these. Okay. Um, I, so I can only base my opinions on the movie and what, mm-hmm. what we saw. I also want mm-hmm. people to know that this movie was created as a sequel to the Shining movie. And I think that that's mm-hmm. important because uh, I learned not that long ago, uh, and we we learned a little bit. I think Sam, we talked about it a, a pretty uh, pretty good bit during the mm-hmm. movie, The Shining, that it's different than the book, and um, it's different enough that obviously Stephen King doesn't like it. He yeah. doesn't like that version of yeah. the, of the movie, and so when so when they made this movie. You can't make it a complete adaptation of the book because it won't make sense because there's enough differences from the thing. So I'm yeah. saying I'm just giving you like my preamble of I'm I'm going to talk. We're going to kind of we can talk about the books. And mm-hmm. Travis, have you read the books? I have read The Shining. I have not read. Uh, I've read parts of uh, some excerpts from uh, Doctor Sleep, but not the whole thing. Okay, okay. it is actually on my list to read though. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm. After watching this movie, I I really do want to read the book. I do because too. I want to. Th- there are so many moments in this movie that that are so Stephen have that, that Stephen King feel to them mm-hmm. that I'm just I'm itching to get more of that and um and and it's just that special kind of magic of his writing just translates so well sometimes into into oh, yeah. creepiness. You know, when we watched uh, Gerald's Game and the mm-hmm. um. Oh gosh, what's the tall guy that ended up being a real thing? The moon Spoiler dancer, alert. the the moon moon man. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. moon um, moon. Yeah, it's uh, Carl Strucken. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, who's in this and, movie? Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
I just I, I I'm kind of actually a little disheartened to 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 think that it's the book is going to be so much different that I couldn't just jump into the second book and and not enjoy it yeah. as much as as I should I guess does that make sense Yeah yeah it, it, it does, does. I, I get where you're going Okay so I uh, yeah. Uh, yeah So having given that uh, all that I will start by saying um, I'll do the read since Andrew's not here I, again not going to do an <laughs> Andrew voice I'm just going to simply read. Years following the events of The Shining, the movie, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, K-N-O-T, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. Um, okay. Yeah, IMDb did a pretty good job on that one. That's not bad. So, so it's, it's, if, it's basically Stardust. Yeah. Actually, in, a lot of ways, in some ways, <laughs> not you're not wrong. Like, there's no lie detected there. Yeah, the the difference is that Stardust is not, you know, when they Children. eat the heart of yeah. the of the dying star, it's not it's yeah. not as gruesome and violent as this is. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have nightmares. I, I watched it this morning, and and I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. I know it. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. Well, I, I watched guess that's this. What you're supposed to do right with these types of things. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed yeah, to have. Yeah. Yeah, I, I watched this oh, a couple yeah. days ago, and and uh, the only thing that's prevented me from having a good night's sleep is my dog. So, um, <laughs> yeah, they'll do that. Yeah, uh, she's thirteen and just old and weak <laughs> bladders and things. Uh, yeah. So, Sam, why don't you lead us off with your yes. five word review, please? Absolutely. Um, and and I'm going to be ch- well. I've got two of them tonight. All right, and um, the first one I'm going to say is a. Uh, Felt like an old story. For some reason, this this movie and the feel feel my feelings around it felt like it's been told before, but it was like it was almost a comfort uh, story. But it was new, right? It's something I, I wasn't expecting, and and I thought I, I was real interested in the way that it made me feel. But then my my real kind of reviewish five words would be one step away from great, and in this in this movie and in how it's presented and in how it goes, there are so many incredible moments in this movie where I am, you know, you are, are are feeling for these kids. You are hurting for, for what's happening to them. You are, uh, 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 you know, you want their lives to be better and, and, and these vultures slash, uh, vampires to leave them alone. But I think it's, where it tries to tie in to the original shining story, uh, especially the movie, I think it falls a little bit and I don't know if it's directorial choices. I don't know if it's, um, you know how they visualize things, but for some reason it felt like the entire third act was rushed. And when they finally got to the hotel and even some of the things that happened at the hotel felt felt like they could have taken their time a little bit more. And, and I don't know if that. Oh, the internet We're got good. him or uh, he got put internet in a box. Gremlins got him to get put in a box, Sam. All right. Now I'm back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how far did I get? Uh, um, you were telling everybody uh, how took their time, the third act, some of the stuff felt very rushed. Uh, the, the death of, um, Maggie the hat is it Maggie the hat? Rose. Or Rose the Rose hat. Rose the hat, thank you. Um 
I just, I wanted more. I wanted her to suffer more, I guess. I wanted to see more of the ghosts. You know, it, it's kind of like a, sometimes you watch these sport movies, right? And they have people in the, in the stands. And sometimes they just don't have enough people in the stands to make it look like a real game. That's how mm-hmm. I felt in the hotel where they should have had a zombie-like crowd of ghosts around them on that staircase. And there was like the five or six most known ghosts um, that, that came after them. I just, I think, I think it could have been amped up more in the hotel at the end. Okay. And, and we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about some of our favorite parts um, later on down the road. But um, I, I made the mistake of watching this movie at work and in a, a lit office on my laptop I, I, I wish I could have seen it at home with surround sound in the dark um, and, and on a big screen because don't do what I did, folks. Uh, you know, watch this the right way because there are certain scenes and there's certain moments in here that are just gorgeous and, mm-hmm. and, and that um, really do reflect a little bit of the Kubrick style mm-hmm. uh, that, that I do like. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's kind of, I, I really enjoyed it, but it's just, it's, uh, just that close to being really good. I would, I'm did so. I know you didn't, Sam. Travis, have you seen the director's cut of this? I have not. There, I didn't know there was one. So yeah. Um. So Ooh. this this movie once again has stung us in the butt. Where, um, I say, hey, Travis, let's do this movie back in <laughs> September, and on September twentieth. HBO pulls it off their their list. Uh, and we have the most issues with this at Halloween. I don't know why, but streaming services... Like, we tried to do The Exorcist for three years and realized mm. that every October, Netflix takes it off. It. Every, every October, they pull it. And so we discovered the only way we would be able to do The Exorcist is if we watched it in September for an October release. Yep. Uh, so we, I rented this. We rented this on, yeah, on Amazon too. Prime. Now there is a director's cut, but you can't rent it. You can only buy it. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't, I wouldn't dare purchase a fourteen dollar movie sight unseen when mm-hmm. I can watch the, you know, the HD theatrical cut for you know three ninety nine, which is what I did. So I was yeah. just curious if either one of you had seen it because we're cheap. I mean, it's in the, it's well, in our, it's in our name. name. Yeah, it's in so. the name of the show for a reason. Mm-hmm. So we're there, folks. Yeah, yeah. I had to peddle some more <laughs> T-shirts today just so I could afford the rental. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those same same deal. You could only buy it, and uh, I originally watched it on HBO Max um, way back when. And then you're right; it it left. Uh, thankfully, I had uh, another source, and I was able to watch it again. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I, I do want to see at some point the, the uh, director's cut just to see what else yeah, is put in. It's, it's right? 30 extra minutes. I mean, it's, yeah, which, it's, I mean, it's already two and a half hours. So. Yeah, maybe they, maybe they take their time more. Maybe there's more atmosphere, yeah. right? And I think that's where, what, what I was missing in a, in a sequel to The Shining was, was simply the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Travis, do you have a five-word review? I do. I have two as well. Um, I'll start with my more serious film reviewee uh, five-word review. And that is, <laughs> for me, my five-word review is perfect movie and book sequel. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And, and the reason that I say that is this is the, the book was written as a sequel to the book mm-hmm. by Stephen King. 
and the movie was made as a as a, a adaptation of the book and a sequel to the movie and it managed to marry both i think as well as you possibly could um you mentioned how kind of that third act uh feels more rushed that is um movie only that is not part of the book all the oh, stuff see. at the hotel yeah. is not yeah. in the book um oh really oh interesting right, okay yeah in are, how much do you care about spoilers um with the book uh, I, I'm okay. I'm. Are you okay. okay, Sean? Yeah, I already know what he's about to say, so it's fine. Oh, okay. So, yeah, All in right. in the book, when they go to the spot in Colorado, there's nothing left of the hotel. It's been burned down. Um, oh. So the the hedge maze is gone. All of that. That was because in the original Shining book, the hotel blows up at the end of it. The hotel is gone at the little, end of the first book, so it's kind of tough hard to, to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was Mike Flanagan deciding, hey, I, I want to uh, recreate this part and continue, you know, continue this. And he sort of had to convince Stephen King that it was a good idea. Um, and King finally read it and was like, yeah, go for it. So that's probably part of why that feels a little more rushed is that's less adaptation and more kind of original stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I just I just feel like adapting adapting Stephen King is already an interesting proposition because his work is not directly translatable. You're going to be making changes to it anytime you adapt it to screen. It's just the, the nature of his writing. And the the Shining movie adapted the story so differently. And then when you go to make a sequel and you're adapting the book that is a sequel, you can't just adapt the book because Sean, you're right in like, it's not going to make any sense. Movie going audience isn't going to know what's going on. This movie was already really poorly marketed in my opinion, mm-hmm. but they, they have to like Mike Flanagan, the writer and director basically realized, look, I love this book, but I also like the movie. And I think he even had a quote somewhere where he said like, when I think when you hear the overlook hotel, there's a picture in your mind of what that is. And, and it's the because sound. of the movie and the sound. Yeah. And it's because of yeah. the Shining movie. Yeah. So he wanted to incorporate both of those things. And he saw it as kind of a, the quote was, I saw it as a gift to me as a fan and from me to Stephen King. Because he was able to work in some elements from Stephen King's original Shining novel into the finale of his movie that adapted his sequel book. So I kind of love how they married those two things. The whole setting the boiler off and blowing the place up. That was the, how the original book ended. Kubrick didn't go that route. So now Flanagan gets to do that, which is a really cool way to kind of wrap that story up. Mm-hmm. So it's different enough and it's different in, in a lot of similar ways that the movie, the original adaptation of the movie was. And I, I love that. I love adaptations. And I love changing things because they're different mediums. They're, you know, books and movies are, are very different. I, if I have to hear one more person tell me the book was better with that smug tone, I'm, I'm, I'm going to eat something that I shouldn't because it just drives me insane. It's different. A book is different from a movie. And if you're going to make a movie about a book, you're going to adapt it. It's going to change. I don't care if you like the book better. That's fine. You can have that opinion. But don't tell me that the book is better all the time because it's not always blade runner is a much more interesting story than do androids dream of electric sheep and i've read that book and i've watched that movie it just is 
That's not a knock on Philip K. Dick. The book is fantastic, but it's not as interesting as Blade Runner. Well, look at look at Stephen King's um, uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption Shawshank. versus yeah. the the short the short story, right? Yep, two totally the, different feelings. Yeah, well, or the Mist. Uh, the, yeah. the one I, mean, I King, always King went on record saying that Frank Darabont wrote a better ending to the Mist than he did. <laughs> so yeah, the or one, at least a more effective yeah. ending. The I one I say. always go to was Neil Gaiman's Stardust. Stardust the movie is a is better than Stardust the book, in my opinion. But sure. Anyway. And and for me, it's is not it, so much like what's better and what's worse. It's just that they're different. The Lord of the yeah. Rings films yeah. are some of the best adaptations of a written word to a film I've ever seen because Peter Jackson and Philippa Boyens, they sat down and they knew what to cut in order to tell the story that was in the book, but that they wanted to tell. And they framed it so because if you directly adapted The Lord of the Rings, that movie would be boring as hell. Amen. Yes. It's it's like I'm I am super super excited to see Dune, but I know that it has to be an adaptation because that book is dense. <laughs> and if you've ever read Dune, you know it is I not forced a myself. Quick read. Yeah, I forced myself to get through Dune because you know you keep hearing how it's you know it's a classic and it's mm-hmm. you know if you like sci-fi, you have to like Dune and I had a hard time. I had a hard time with that one. I almost put it down at one point. I don't blame you. It took me a while to get through it too. And, and that's my thing is like, it's different. Yes. There are some adaptations that are poorly done. I love Michael Crichton's sphere as a novel. I I ate it up when I was younger. That movie adaptation, not good. Crap. It's just, it's just not. Well, it also shows, uh, wait, what? (laughs) Jurassic, Jurassic park is a very, very interesting book. Fantastic movie. They're different. They're, They're totally, not exactly yeah. the same yep. at all. Yep. Both are good. So you can both have are in both. their own little worlds are perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look what happened with, with game of Thrones. They, they, they stuck to the books in the first five, six seasons. And when they couldn't stick to the, to the books anymore, it, it fell off a cliff. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, book adaptations are, are always tricky to do anyway, because there's going to be that section of people that are just like, Oh, the book is better. So and my question, my question to you, should I read the shining? Should I read yeah, The Shining absolutely. and then read Dr. Sleep? Do you like Stephen King? Yes. Read The Shining then. Okay. It's yeah. just read it knowing that it's Stephen Could King's be. The Shining, not yeah. Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah, because I, I, I've always been very curious about the differences. So that, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. And I mean, it happens with everything King has done, whether it's The Green Mile, whether it's It. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's whole parts of It that will never be adapted to film and should never be adapted to film. Yes, I've heard about that as well. <laughs> because the connection yikes. fiends. Yeah. 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 Um, so you know, it's just what it is. Like and and that's what I love about taking art into different mediums is take the written word, take the book, adapt it to a visual medium. How are you gonna do that? And are you gonna keep the same feeling or are you going to transform it in some way? It's like a it's like a cover song. It's like taking an, an original song and doing a cover version of it. Are you just going to do the song itself or are you going to give it your own spin? How are you going to do that? Some people are good at doing that and rearranging things and fitting a different style while keeping the feel of the original. Some people change it up completely and make something new out of it. And some people just do a, a hacky knockoff of what was there. And the same thing happens in movies. You can have great adaptations that, uh, very much feel similar to a book. You can have the, the great adaptations that completely change it. That's Blade Runner. 
Uh, and then you can have just the crappy, hacky, well, we tried to do this and we just did a bad job of it. Uh, the Relic is another one of those in my that's mind. A great, that's a great choice. The Relic is great. Great book. Amazing book. Really bad movie. Mm-hmm. Although you know, I guess I'm, be, I'm being the douchey guy that says the book was good, the movie wasn't. I just don't think the the adaptation was failed in their in their part. Sure, absolutely. No, that happens quite a bit. I mean, uh, and and I see it a lot with like say a video game adaptation where you get something that actually has a story behind it, and they they adapt a video game poorly. Not, not I'm not talking about like Super Mario Brothers or Street Fighter <laughs> where they didn't have the story to begin with, and you know they were just drunk or high the whole time. I'm talking like some of the newer stuff like Silent Hill is a good example where the game has a really interesting story. The movie itself is not terrible, um, but you can't compare the two. You have to look at it as an adaptation. That's my big thing. Just look at what it is. Uh, take take the thing that you're watching and realize that it's it's something different from what was originally there. That doesn't make it worse. It just makes it different. Now that it can be poorly mm-hmm. done and I'm fine with that, but this whole like I just get tired of the the book was better from I, I know people that will say that literally about anything that's adapted from a book. <laughs> and it just drives me crazy. So so there's that. And now, the book other, will the, oh, a lot of times the book will always be better because it's in your own brain, for God's sake. Sure. With horror, right? especially. Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Something designed so, to scare you. A book is going to do a better job of it. Yes. You know, I, I love the the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. The man himself was a little problematic, but the stories are very, very interesting. It's hard to adapt because so much of that is in your head. Yep. And your imagination is so. always going to be scarier than what someone can show you on a screen. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, now, my, my, my cheeky five-word review is simply <laughs> Rose the Hat. Mm, yes, please. <laughs> oh gosh you know and 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 ever since the the greatest showman i don't know what it is about her i am i am she is on my list yeah oh rebecca ferguson is phenomenal she is gorgeous she is just gorgeous and it's not like this weird I, anyway I, I could go on for a while <laughs> talking about how gorgeous this woman is but um yeah 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 i enjoy watching her mm-hmm yeah, well, she's we, one of my favorite things of the newer Mission Impossible movies. Yes, yeah, I was going to say that's the first place yep. I noticed her was in Mission Impossible Five, and yep. you know she's yep. all sexy with her dress and her flute gun and um, <laughs> you know, things like that. And then, and then, so when she shows up in the uh, the Greatest Showman, which Sam mentioned, it really threw yep. me for a loop because we bought the soundtrack, and so we're listening mm. to the soundtrack as we're my wife and I are driving. And the the little screen, you know, it'll pop up who's singing. And, you know, so it's like Zac Efron and Hugh Jackman are doing the duet. And Zac Efron and Zendaya are doing the duet. And then her part comes on and it says Lauren Allred. And I was like, wait, that's, that's not her name. That's not, <laughs> and so then I had to I had to research and find out that um, she didn't actually do her singing part. She didn't feel she's a singer, but she felt like the person that's supposed to be this world-breaking, you know, best singer of her generation. She didn't think she could hack it, so she they had someone. She just you know overdubbed it. Um, I just thought it was cool that we shared the last same last name as the the the, the good singer, the one that actually did the voice. <laughs> but yeah, no, Rebecca Ferguson's great. She's really good in this, and she's um, creepy and <laughs> yeah, and, and um, sexy and terrifying and. 
she's she's alluring and frightening at the same time like yeah. you can't you can't help but be drawn in by her and yet you're you're just like covered in flop sweat the whole time because you don't know what's going to happen to you yeah you don't know yeah. if she's going to invade but your you, mind and find all your your dirty things or if she's just going to simply stab you in the face like you just don't know yep Yep. And either, whatever, either one, fine. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as long as she's the last thing you see, right? There, there you go. Okay. Um, I do want to mention, you mentioned, I'm going to do my five word here in just a second, but you kind of alluded to it earlier about having poor um, marketing on this movie. So this was a $45 million budget mm-hmm. and it made... Wait, that's it? $45 yeah, million a, was it? It's amazingly small budget for what's well, on the screen. That. Yeah, to yeah. think there's there's not a lot to to cost. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's yeah. there's some locations, but there's no CGI. Not really. Realize that. that uh, well, no, there is because the elevator blood scene. That's yeah. all digital. That's all digital. It was a digital shot yeah. so that it would be from her perspective because the original yep. shot is from the perspective of Danny. So, yep. but I mean, Which, that's honestly that looks amazing. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, it looked great, and um, there was, you know, obviously the flying scene when she's flying over. There's that's a little bit of green screen happening, but I mean, for the most part, the movie, you know, there's there's very little special effects. There's you know, it's just a lot of people talking about stuff. So yeah, forty five million makes sense, but it only made seventy two million. And some of that has got to be the marketing. I think it came out in it came out in November. Which is not a great time for scary movies no, no. at all, because it's November is between like October is a great release month for scary movies. December is a decent release month for just about anything because so many people are home for Christmas and they're going to go see movies and whatnot. Yeah. November is not great, and then in, on top of that is November of 2019, which means it can't even have long legs in the theater because a couple months later everything's getting closed down. Yeah, yeah. So poor marketing did not help this at all either, because like you said, it was. Is it a sequel? Is it sort of a sequel to the movie? Is it sort of a book? Like, yeah, and they didn't they didn't play that part enough. And I'm a dude that that watches trailers and enjoys the experience of ooh, what's coming out next. And mm-hmm. and I remember seeing this, saying, oh, oh, Ewan McGregor's in a thing. Oh, this is kind of cool. But I didn't know the the. It, 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 I was never, I never got the idea that he was Danny Torrance from yeah. The Shining, and. And I don't honestly don't know because 2019 was the year we did The Shining for the podcast. So I, it would have been very fresh in my mind specifically. Like this movie came out actually at a great time for me to go watch it. And I had really no interest in seeing it because I didn't know what it was. So it's well, and, and obviously, you know, The Shining is not in the title, right? Um, I remember that the, too. Uh, the uh, you know, although how cheesy would it be? You know, The Shining, Dr. Sleep. Or, you know, it, The Shining 2, it just, mm, I don't know if that would have worked, but. No, it, it, that's the hard part, right? It's like, how do you, yeah. you can't, you can't make it The Shining 2, especially yeah. with that large of a gap in between the movies, 30, almost 40 years. Yeah. And the book that it's based on was just called Dr. Sleep, but they should have, like, there just should have been more telling you who, who Ewan McGregor is playing or show Carl Lumley as, uh as um dick halloran more um but i mean on top of the fact that that dude should just be in everything all the time anyway (laughs) uh, 
but it just the marketing for this didn't give you a sense of what you were getting into and and there just wasn't enough of it in my opinion so it's sad because this movie should have made a ton of money just based on the nostalgia factor for the shining alone and they should have played into that a lot more totally agree yeah i i could totally see a a trailer with even just the overlook and the and the the music and then Mm -hmm. flashes of some of the you know the Rosie of the hat, not Rosie. Oh, is it Rosie? Rose. Rose, Rose the hat. And, you know, but just keep going back to the hotel and back to the hotel. And, you know, it's, I, I think, I think that would have served much better purpose yeah, absolutely. Than, than what they did. Well, so I, I literally have on my other computer here, the trailer showing, and this is the mm-hmm. trailer that I remember watching. And it's only scenes of him at the overlook. Hmm. And, oh, really? And that's what I think is what turned me off because I thought, oh, the whole movie is just him going back to the Overlook. Like, why do we need to go back? Because we, you know, I, I thought that it was like he was a reporter or he was investigating the Overlook. Um, right, so, not really knowing who he's playing, who this character is that you're seeing. Yeah, so like right now, it's, yeah. it's 40, minute, 40 seconds into the trailer and it's showing him in the part where he's still kind of the, the alcoholic whatever. And he's, you know, now he's talking to the wall with the chalk. Right. But I still don't understand what's happening. And now that then they just show the girl like, so uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. I, I think it's just a little bit of bad marketing, but yeah. well, and, and the story ended up being between the girl and, and Ewan, um, and their relationship and, and how the shining actually worked. And I, I wanted more of that. I wanted Mm -hmm. more of the shining and that version of the shining and how it worked, how they were getting into the, the, each other's minds. And, you know, it was almost matrix style fighting that they were having to do between them. And, and I, I just enjoyed this, the the heck out of that. Yeah. Um, I'm with you on that. Yeah. All right. So let me do my five word because I'm really excited to talk about the girl and her powers. And I just, I just, I'll say this, I'm going to tease it and then I'll do my five word. I love, so what the movie doesn't do, the, the, there's a trope, you know, this movie has, or I guess maybe the story does too, is, you know, Ewan McGregor is, is um, you know, he has the power, but he's, you yep. know, he's hit it away with alcohol over the years. But the movie kind of reminds you that, um, and I don't know if the Shining book did this, but in this version of Danny, he's actually really good at it. I mean, he's, he's talented. He's got, he's got mm-hmm. way more power than I think he even realizes until towards the end of the movie when, when shit gets real. But I love the fact that the girl is just <laughs> so above everyone else on the, on the playing field to the, to the part that there's a couple of times where the bad guys, cause usually the bad guys have all of the, the power. And that's what yep. makes it, it's an, you know, it's always good having to overcome the evil because the evil is more powerful. She yep. brushes these guys off like they're nothing. And the only reason why <laughs> she gets caught was because of the real world scenario stuff, not yep. in the matrix, so to speak, in the shine, um, that stuff. I just, I loved the fact that this 13 year old girl kicks ass. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it breaks those tropes, right? It takes it, the tropes that we're used to and, and twists them in a way yeah. 
that that makes it fun. Yeah, I love that. I really did. So here's my silly one. Um, the Jean Grey origin story. <laughs> Watch out for Phoenix. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. That's good. <laughs> uh, and my, my other one is, and I don't usually do two. Sam knows this. I don't usually have two, but I was in a mood last night um, or two nights ago when I watched this. Best Stephen King novel, I'm using the word novel, adaptation. Oh, wow. This okay. is right. now my favorite Stephen King novel movie adaptation, period. Done. Wow. It's okay. like. Yeah, because you have to take out the short stories. You got to take out uh, yep. Shawshank. I take out Shawshank. Um, uh, uh, what was the other one I was thinking of just now? Um, I think The Mist was a short. I've not seen The Mist. Okay. Um, but I'm putting it over movies like the green mile, which is a great film. It is a great mm-hmm. film, but I'm putting this over, you know, the green mile and, um, what's the other one that it doesn't feel like a Stephen King one. I can't think of it. Crap. Anyway. Oh, sense of sensibility. Sure. Uh, stand by me. <laughs> maybe. Yes. Yes. Yeah, stand by me. Yeah. Okay. I think, anyway. Yeah, no, I, I get that. This, I loved this movie. I loved it so much. I had, again, I mentioned the beginning, I had no expectations of what this movie was going to be. Yeah. And I was expecting a little bit more horror elements. And I I was very confused at the beginning when Rose is with that little girl. And all of a sudden there's these creepy people there. And then you're not shown. You're just kind of learn. You just kind of figure out like, oh, they killed her. And they did something to her. Oh, yeah. So these are not good people. And then, and then the little girl, uh, and, um, Abra, you know, as a little girl who's at her own birthday party is like, Oh, I can do that trick with the spoons. And then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. mom and dad walk in and there's 38 spoons on the ceiling and she just thinks it's funny. And so we're okay. We're world building a little bit. And then we see Danny and he's still having, I just, the, the conversation he has with his, his, the new actress that is playing his mom looked she looked great it was the perfect cast she looked like she could have been the daughter <laughs> of um the lady i can't remember her shelly duvall shelly duvall thank you yeah yep like yeah. she looks so much like her and um the gentleman that they got to play uh dick was uh i mean he looked like scatman carruthers he looked so good yeah honestly like i said carl lumley should be in everything but if you can't get scatman which unfortunately you can't get him now yeah. uh, he passed away but like getting Carl Lumley to be Dick Halloran was a, was a stroke of genius. Like this movie was cast yeah. so well. It's so yes. And they I mean, all do. So there was barely, I, I don't remember bad acting in this movie. There isn't. I, I, no. I, I, I know. I, you know, usually it sticks out like a sore thumb and, and mm-hmm. I can remember Even, specific scenes that didn't work, that, that it just didn't, didn't coalesce, but oh, holy crap. Did they act their butts off? Even little kid the kids Danny. too. Little kid Danny was so good. I thought just he was. Oh, he was great. Ewan McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson. We've already talked yeah. about, but even like yeah. Carl Strucken as Grandpa Flick. Uh, it's great to see Lurch still getting work. Yeah, so I'm always happy about that. <laughs> he's the Moon Moon Man, um, whatever he's called. Yeah, well, he was Lurch in the Adams Family. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. He's he's great. Like I love that guy and everything. Whether he's Mister Holm and in, uh, in Star Trek Next Generation or you know playing a mute character here, he gets to talk. Like he was great. Even a small part, like Barry the Chunk, is not in it a whole lot, but Robert Longstreet killed it with that character for the short time he gets to do it. Um, Cliff Curtis, Billy, I love Cliff Curtis. I will watch him in anything. Like he's just—he's one of those guys I love to see 
because he's always doing something unique or interesting to me in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the kid that I want to talk about, oh, Cliff Curtis, is yeah. Yeah. Uh, my um, Jacob Tremblay, who played Baseball Boy. Oh yeah, we got to oh, talk about because him. Crap. holy oh. hell, that scene oh. is hard to watch. And then and then. You, you get this from, uh, according to director Mike Flanagan, and I looked this one up. Yeah. Uh, the first take of that scene, Jacob Tremblay was so intense in it that he scared everybody on set. He was traumatizing the adult actors. And when they called cut, he just hopped up, covered in fake blood, went over and high-fived his dad and was like, grab something from the snack table. Yeah, he went and got like an <laughs> ice cream or something. Yeah. After doing a scene that literally, uh, according, this is according to the director, yeah. left the rest of the cast shell-shocked and traumatized. Like, Rebecca Ferguson couldn't get her lines out in that first take because the kid just went for it. And right. that's, well, I it, love it, that it, story. If you watch that scene and you aren't not only completely engrossed, but completely horrified, because this is, <sighs> This this scene is the is a parent's worst nightmare, and it's, it's a mm-hmm. person is a kid's worst nightmare. It's it's I mean it's straight out of the genius of, of Stephen King, I would think. But if you can't relate to that in some deep level, I don't I don't know if you're a human. The the, the kid's face, and and when she initially stabs him, and and he's gurgling blood. It's just oh my gosh! Like I said, I'm gonna have nightmares tonight from that scene. Well, it, it, it's it's gonna haunt me. Because a death scene in a movie is already going to be something, and when you yeah. when when it's a kid, it's even it's amped up even more, right? Because yeah. the innocence of a kid and the kid can't fight back, and he's being held down by everybody, and the this kid actor is just nailing it. the The fear on his face is real, and the fact that his first words in the scene after just no, doing nothing but screaming is, "Are you going to hurt me?" and her response is, "Yes." Yeah. yeah. She doesn't try to soothe him or calm him in any way. She wants him afraid. And that is so much more powerful because it's really, I mean, it's for a horror movie. The horror elements in this are, are very um, focused and very directed to to a few specific moments. But that one is so, so horrifying. And so like it's, I've seen it now. This was my third time watching uh, through the movie and it's still difficult to watch that scene. Yeah, it's so well done, and for them, and and for then, you know, the end of it to be all of them just swarming on him to get that uh, the steam is yeah. just oh, it's like it makes my skin crawl every time. Yeah, it's so well done. Yeah, it it and then and then to know that this is what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they're nomads. There's a reason why they're in RVs. They're going around finding these kids and, and purposely finding kids to to feed off of like this. And it's, yeah, it makes them that much scarier because they just can't be stopped. Well, uh, the crazy thing is like, okay, the 15 year old girl snake bite, what's her face? Like she's just in on this, right? She's, she's Mm -hmm. brand new to it. And she jumps in two feet first. Like she has zero problems, you know, Hey kid, I got candy in the van. Let's go. Right. Like, yeah, she's in it. She doesn't care. And, but you know, think about like grandpa, Lurch, who has been doing it since like the ancient Romans or something. I mean, yeah. Like if you, you kind of think about is how many children has he murdered over the years, over the decades, over the centuries, centuries and murdered like they murdered the baseball kid. Yeah. I mean, and, and it just makes your heart hurt. Yeah, it does. It really does. It's, it's hard to think about. 
it's absolutely horrifying and it's so effective. Yep. It's yeah. it's so effective to make you not not like the characters you're seeing on screen, but also afraid of the characters you're seeing on screen. And then you're happy to see whatever becomes of them later on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When they start getting shot down, oh, that, I was... I was you know, not expecting yes. that. I just, for some reason, it felt so, again, anti-trope. Because I knew it was going to be a trap. They said it, they say we're setting a trap. And so you mm-hmm. knew that. And so when they go to the place and she stabs the little girl in the neck, Abra, and then it turns out it's, it's her bunny rabbit. And, and they all turn around and all of a sudden there's a gunshot. I thought... Oh, I mean, he mentioned the deer. Like, you get the payoff with you know, he sets up that he was a hunter, <laughs> but they yeah. just freaking sniped these guys and, mm-hmm. and and did it well. And they did it <laughs> I mean, well. And of course, the note that I wrote was like, "When did Danny Torrance learn how to shoot?" I mean, that's a that's a perishable <laughs> skill, right? Like, I don't know, between his drunken benders and sleeping with uh, random chicks, like he learned how to shoot a rifle. Oh. Um, that was another rough scene too. So Single moms with the kid. Yeah, let's oh. talk about at the that. beginning. Like that's yeah. oh man, that was tough because you got to figure at that point in Danny's life he's so low. He yeah. he's done nothing but just drink and try to forget what happened to him because it, he was so traumatized. You know, you brought up how Abra embraces her power and is like more powerful than everybody and goes for it. And the thing is, Abra was not brought up to necessarily she hides her shine from her parents because she wants to, because she doesn't want them to think her as being weird or different. But Danny didn't have that choice because Danny at a younger age, at at the age we originally meet Abra at was going through horrifically traumatizing events. And so all he wants to do is forget that. And he wants nothing to do with the shining and He's using he he basically uses it to try and and get rid of the trauma by trapping all the ghosts that come after him after after Dick Halloran teaches him that, but that's it and and then you get you know our our first introduction basically to adult Dan Torrance is him waking up next to a woman who he doesn't even realize is actually dead at that point and and then for him to as he's leaving he sees oh the kid was she there. dead was she dead. Yeah, she so so here's oh, I how must that, have missed that. Yeah, oh. how that all played out is she's dead in the bed, but he doesn't realize it yet. When he goes to leave, he sees the kid, gives the kid food and puts him on the bed. The ghost that visits Dan later. Yeah, with you, the dead kid. That's her saying they never they haven't found us yet because oh. she is such a, she is such an absent mother that the people in her building are used to hearing the kid cry. So they don't do anything about it anymore. So Oh, dude, that makes it that much worse. It's so, so, so much worse. Because he does see the dead kid, yeah. which yeah. means the kid is dead too now. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Oh. Which, by the way, was the only effect in the movie that I, I, didn't, uh, that I don't think worked as well was the, the child face. It's an, uh, it's yeah. an animatronic baby. It's an yeah. animatronic it's, it, baby. That's hard it's, to do. Like, yeah. I'm not going to slag on the movie for that because that's a tough one to pull off. But, oh, man, that scene is so rough because... It's when you realize, oh, she was dead the whole time. Holy and, cow. And that was the but, flies that he mentioned. But okay. Yep, now I've flies. made the connection. Now I've, okay. Yeah. Oh my see, gosh. I took it differently, but you saying it makes more sense. And I think, you know, having the sight of uh, having seen the movie multiple times, you kind of pick on that. Because I picked up on, I figured she died later. Like I just yeah, assumed no, that it, she, when, she. When just, you look at it, if you watch it again, realize when he gets up, there's the 
pile of throw up next to her. She basically choked that choked on her own vomit in nice. bed next to him, and he didn't even realize it. He was yeah. so because at that point his shining, he had been drinking so much and cocaine or whatever else he was doing the night before that he had dulled his his shine. Well, he oh. he had it enough in the morning that Dick showed up and said, "You're gonna take from her." She's got a baby. And he goes, well, I'll leave a little bit or something. And then that's when he puts the kid with the food on her bed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, I, I mean, wow. If he knew she was dead. Well, if he would have known, then he would have called the cops. You know, you just, oh, okay, you just pick okay, up yeah. a phone. You dial yeah, 911. Yeah. It's, it's and the fact you, that he didn't realize she was dead. Yeah. And just thought, well, I'll leave her here. When she wakes up, she'll take care of baby and whatever. And then finding out after the fact when her ghost visits him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, oh. it's rough stuff. It is. I mean, it 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 also kind of it helps um, it helps with the character development of Danny because you said it. He's as low as he can go, and he spends the next you know eight years kind of bringing peace to people as they die. Yeah, um, yep. at the hospice place, which. Is I, those scenes are just great when he's just sitting next to people and the cat shows up and and the guy says that cat knows when people are going to die and and he says you need me to go get somebody or get you some medicine he goes no just be here with me and yeah it was th- those were like really kind of these really sweet moments where it's like these men are you know because it's men that we see die you know they're by themselves there's no loved ones nearby these are people that mm-hmm. don't have anyone mm-hmm. so at least Danny can be that for them he can be that comfort. And so it's kind of Danny's way of making up for all the bad that he has done over the last lifetime, basically. Yeah. I mean, he, yep. he got to his lowest point. He spent eight years building himself back and, and kind of finding himself again, getting sober, coming to grips with what happened to him as a kid, coming to grips with what happened with his father, helping all these people. And then suddenly out of nowhere, seemingly because he hasn't talked to her in a while, this girl just shows up and is like, hey, I can do the same thing you can do. We've talked before, but now we're meeting face to face and I want to go fight these people. And Danny is <laughs> like, uh, hell no. Like I've been down that road and it wasn't fun. I don't want to go again. And basically, you know, and so then she has between her and uh, Halloran, they've got to kind of build him back up and be like, no, you need to do this because what w- you don't want, you don't want her life to go the way yours did. Yep. Is essentially what Dick Halloran is telling him in not so many ways. Like there's, you have a debt to pay. Yeah. Help this girl out. And, and he realizes that if he doesn't help her, she's going to end up like him and he doesn't want that for anybody. So there you get that, or that relationship, or she's going to be food in which case, yeah, or she's going to be food. Exactly. And in which yep. case her ghost is going to show up and talk to him probably, you know, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And then he'll have that yeah. on oh, his yeah. conscience forever. Where yep. you know the little girl um, shows up and says, "Hey, you could have helped me, but you didn't." Yeah. Another thing I did want to mention because this is an adaptation part, uh, and and again, this is where I think sometimes adapt- adaptations can can improve something. She calls him Uncle Dan in the movie. Yeah. Um, and they, she does this as a way to be like, you know, that I like how they play it off, where it's like, we shouldn't, you know, if we're sitting here talking, it's going to look weird. Well, just anyone yeah. asks, yeah. you know, I'm, you're my Uncle Dan. In the book, he literally is her Uncle Dan. In the book, Jack Torrance had an affair before the events of The Shining with that girl's grandmother, 
And so her mom was Jet was Danny's half sister. So he literally is Uncle Dan in the book. And I think it works better not having a familial relationship between those two personally. Um, so that's another one of those adaptation parts that I think yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And it works probably in the book really well. But there's just something about changing that little that one little aspect, but keeping it keeping parts of it that I think works because I think that it, it there's a it feels it feels more like there's more redemption there from Dan if he's helping somebody because of her abilities and because of where her life could go as opposed to also yeah, throwing yeah, in the fact yeah, that she's related to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I agree. think you're, I think that's actually a really good point, which I hadn't thought of in the, I, I didn't know that going into the movie. I read that in the trivia afterwards that in the book she's, mm-hmm. they're actually related, but I, I do like that. I kind of like that they're not, and it and yes, it is a little bit of the trope of you have the the reluctant hero, and you have the young buck that wants to to do the right thing, and they have to kind of drag the reluctant hero kicking and screaming, sure, um, quite literally in this case. But it, <laughs> it the, the trope is a, it's just it's different enough that we don't, I, I you know you don't like key on the trope and just roll your eyes and go oh this is going to be oh we're going to have a road trip with the two of them and. You know, it's, it's going to be like Real Steel or any of those other ones where you have the kid and the, the adult, right? Mm-hmm. The plucky kid and the reluctant adult. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah because yeah. it's very different in this case because she is his equal when it comes to the shine, if not better. And, right. you know, it's just the fact that she has this great power. She's just in a kid body and with a kid mm-hmm. mind. Um, I mean, she's so proud of herself when she traps her. <laughs> When she oh, traps yeah. Rose, she's like, and that's yeah, that's great because that's how a kid would react. Yeah, somebody her age doing that and being like, yeah, I was able to pull that off. Yeah, look, look what, what I, I did. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I wanted to to mention because you talked about earlier how you know she's really really strong and strong, probably stronger than anybody else, and that's not wrong. But at the same time, Rose and the True Knot, they're not weak by any stretch, and in in some ways, Rose is stronger than abra Mm -hmm. but rose doesn't think abra is as strong as she is she doesn't she can't conceive of that i mean even with what transpired with what abra did to rose where you know there's a part where she's like i would have said that's impossible but she pulled it off and crow daddy saying well do we turn her do we eat her and she's like we can't turn her we can't have somebody that powerful involved with us but yet she's still supremely confident in her own abilities enough to think that she can beat Abra and she can beat Dan. She just doesn't, she doesn't fully grasp how powerful either of them are. And the fact that she doesn't know Dan because she doesn't know Dan. She doesn't know what Dan has been through. Yeah. So, you know, he's got that on his side, but she's like, she is still very powerful. So I, I loved that. There wasn't like a, there wasn't a clear, this one is more powerful than that. Like there wasn't a rock, paper, scissors thing going on. It was, there was a lot, it was more, it was more nuanced than that. And I appreciate that because it does give you the sense of like, this could go in any direction. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it stayed away from being another X-Men film, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where, you know, what happens if, if Magneto goes against Wolverine or, you know, the, the shining and the powers that come with the shining seem to be different in every single person. But it still revolves around the idea of getting into somebody's mind and, and yep. being able to to communicate with them in some shape or form. Even the um, 
the pusher girl. You know, yeah. it was still getting into somebody's mind and convincing them that what she was saying is the right way to do it. And mm-hmm. I, one thing I would have liked to have seen, I know there wasn't a whole lot of time, but obviously all these other, um, uh, I don't know, ghouls, right, had some sort of shining power. Right. Um, otherwise, we didn't really they would see what they were. Yeah, and I would have liked to have seen, you know, what uh, uh, Lurch, what, you know, why he was there, you know, why, why was he the first one? I don't know. You know, what mm-hmm. was his, what was his deal? And um, I think that would have been fun to explore a little bit more. I, I do want to talk about one issue I did have the, in the movie, and that okay. was the issue um, of the trap, where they they're shooting them all down. And of course the, the pusher is the last one alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew when she came out that my buddy from, um, walking dead, uh, or, uh, the, the fear of the walking dead was going to end up shooting himself. It was yeah. written on, I mean, it, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And I wish there would have been some, some way they could have manipulated that to, to, to just end up differently. Um, it's interesting because, and it also was such a throwaway. It was like, Oh, he's dead. Eh, you know, same thing with her father It was like, Oh, he's dead. Yeah. And and the impact wasn't there. It 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 wasn't. And some of that is that they changed Billy's character just a little bit. Cause in the Mm -hmm. book, um, from what I remember, and again, I want to read it all the way through, but Billy and the doctor that's played by Bruce Greenwood early on, the one who, um, has the missing watch and all that. They're both more involved in the end of the book than they are in this. And you're right. They telegraph the fact, like if you're paying attention at all, you know, great, he's dead. Like he's not. Yeah. 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 And it is a bummer because again, Cliff Curtis, I'll watch him in anything, (laughs) but he, it, it, it felt like they started. He's such an important person to Dan. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his death feels it, it lacks some of the weight because we don't get a chance to, to mourn for him. It goes yep. from that directly to they've still got to deal with Rose and they've got to go to the, the hotel. Yeah. So, well, not even that they, they, we still have to deal with, um, we still have to witness the, her getting kidnapped. Um, yeah. Uh, Abra yep. getting kidnapped and her dad getting stabbed and, uh, and then the result, you know, the, with crow, crow, daddy, crow, whatever. Crow name. daddy. Yeah. Thank you. Crow daddy. The, <laughs> not, not Lou diamond Phillips. Oh, so close. They, yeah. they have to be brothers, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, I've seen that guy in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Longmire yeah, he's recently. He's, yeah. God, he's, he's in everything. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though. Both of you said this, and I didn't pick up on it. I did not see the shooting himself coming at all. What I Really? Was, oh, yeah, okay. So when, when – because when, Ewan McGregor doesn't know her power yet. And so she opens the door and she says, you're getting tired. And he's, he's resistant to it because he's strong with the force. And so, you know, that only works on the weak minded, right? It's the same thing. Yep. And she, she has to say it multiple times before it works. And so there was a part of me that thought that he was faking it. And that right when she was going to get in a position where she loses, you know, um, the surprise, like then he would just pull the gun up and pop her in the head. I thought that was what was going to happen. So then when she gets shot by the buddy, I'm like, oh, okay, that, that works too. But then it took her so long to die because everyone else died pretty quickly. And when, when I was like, oh, she's taking a long time to die, 
<laughs> that's when I knew that something bad was going to happen. And yeah, and it, uh, yeah, there's another movie where that kind of thing happens and I can't think of what it is. Jessica Jones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It happened that, in that, that thing. You're yep. right. That does, that does kind of happen. Oh, Jessica Jones, that kill, kill gray was bad to kids in that movie too. Or that show too. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's just one of those things where you're right in that Billy's death and, and Abra's father's death are somewhat throwaway. And so they, they lack a little bit of the punch because Abra's dad dies off screen. We don't see him get stabbed. We just see the aftermath of it. Um, which is, it might be in the director's cut. I don't know. Um, I'd have to, I mean, with a half an hour more footage, I'm sure they might've had something in there. Um, but you're right. They just they lacked the weight because we didn't get a chance to then to then deal with the aftermath of that. You know, this girl loses her dad, and Dan loses basically his best friend, like the only the really only friend he has other than Abra. Yeah, and somebody and, who got up at four in the morning and drove cross country with him to Iowa to look for a buried child because Danny told him that that might be there. Like Billy was all in. Yeah, yeah. and so. I, I can agree with you in that that would be if I had a problem with anything, it would be that because it does feel like Billy gets a little bit of short, short change. Yeah, he felt like a, a red shirt. Yeah, uh, yeah. to me, it well, just it, you knew something bad was going to happen to him. And I think it's interesting. The movie, don't know about the book, but the movie kind of alludes to he has the shine a little bit too, Billy, because you know, Ewan McGregor says you have a way of telling you know people if they're sincere or not, like you. You could look. You looked into me and saw something like there's, because he mentions it to Abra in the. Uh, I don't know if it was in the clip I played or not, but he talks about how some people have the shine; they just don't know it, yeah. And they don't realize mm-hmm. what it is. You know, when you just know to bring flowers home to your wife when she had a bad day, like that. Intu- you know, the book is kind of giving you the idea that that intuition, that gut feeling that people have, that's the shine, and mm-hmm. and Billy had yep. that, um, and unfortunately. What happened happened. Yeah. All right. Um, gosh, we've talked about so much. I, well, I, I mean, this this movie is so full of of those types of moments, though. That you know, well, talkable moments. Yeah, and, and we and haven't I, even. I appreciate it. Absolutely, we haven't even talked uh, much about how influenced the film style was from Stanley Kubrick. How yeah. much they mm-hmm. either. Uh, staged shots or rebuilt sets. They they rebuilt the Overlook Hotel sets with blueprints they had from the original movie. Mm. Um, they <laughs> they staged shots to look exactly like shots from the original movie, or updated them like the the elevator one to be in you know in line and correct with what they were doing currently. They actually reused a couple of shots from The Shining mm-hmm. um, when they were driving up to the hotel. Those are direct shots from the movie. Just changed day for night they regraded them to be nighttime shots but those overhead helicopter shots are straight out of the first movie um the musical motifs that they did like all this kind of stuff that they were doing to give you that feel and there's no jump scares there's there, one there's there's, there's one. one a light turning on or something uh, no they, for me out. it was um when danny's <laughs> looking through the hole that his dad had cut with the axe and then the camera cuts to Shelley Duvall's. We're seeing her oh, in the movie, and sure. the axe breaks through. That was the only one for me that it was a jump scare. And fair uh, enough, but yeah. like it's not, 
it's it's not a jump scare in the traditional sense of like horror movie gratuitous yeah. jump scares. Yeah. 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 Because they didn't want to do that because Kubrick didn't do it in The Shining. Yeah. So they weren't going to do it in this movie. Like there's so many of those little nods that I just loved. And the, uh, you know, it, it's it's a testament to Mike Flanagan as a director who has done some stuff that's really good. I mean, he did um, Oculus, which fun thing was he worked his Oculus mirror into the background of one of the shots mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. But he did Oculus and uh, Oculus and Hush. Uh, but he directed Gerald's Game. Yep, that was him. Oh wow, okay, all right. And then uh, Haunting of Hill House. Um, he directed ten episodes of that series. Which, by the way, is one of the best series of horror that I have watched in a long time. And it's, it's a lot like the shining type of horror where it's not going to be jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. There will Mm -hmm. be some, but it is, the story is so well done in the haunting of Hill house. It's just, and that was the eighth episode. That was the long shot episode. I can't remember what it was, but it was Uh, like three shots, right? There was only three shots in the entire episode or, or three cuts. And it's just brilliant. It's just, I can't say enough about about that, and and I might actually have to revisit that here. This, yeah, and and this I didn't realize he directed uh, seven episodes of Midnight Mass, which I'm hearing a lot of good things about right now. And now he's got a, in pre production. I see uh, a Fall of the House of Usher, which mm. is going to be another TV miniseries, probably a Netflix series. And I'm all in for that because that's another is good it, one. It, is he, that going to be in the line of Hill House? I know it was Hill House and Bly Manor. Uh, I have to assume like so because he was. It's not yeah. about. Yeah, it's he not about the of, rapper. He did one episode of Bly Manor. So yeah, sure. sure it's not about the R and B guy. The usher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the fall of his house. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. But I mean, he's got he's got horror credit uh, to his name, and then he did this, and like I say, it's just there's some really good work in there. To do, it never felt like he was trying to copy Kubrick. It yeah. felt more like he was. He was paying respect to Stanley Kubrick's style from The Shining while also adapting King. So he was really just, like I said in my five-word review of, a, of it being, for me, a perfect movie and book sequel, meshing those two things so well, pulling elements from both story elements from the book but visual elements from the movie and and taking them together. And it's just really, really good work. The I'm going to use a weird comparison, but to me, it's it's in a similar vein that um, that Galaxy Quest is paying homage to Trek. It, it's true. Sure. You know, well, that's that it, works. It it feels very that. Some of the things that I, I wrote down in my notes specifically about the way that the movie was shot is that other than maybe the 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 shootout, there is no shaky cam. This is yeah on sticks. Yeah. This is yeah. on dollies. I can't tell you how many times. And this again, this felt very King, in that, I'm not King Kubrick. In that, there are multiple times where specifically, I remember like Ewan McGregor is in the shot, and then he walks out of frame, and then the camera pans over to pick him back up, and then we yep. see him over here, and then he goes back to where he was, and then the camera goes back the other direction, and there's a lot of just. These dolly tracking shots and um, Travis well, and staging of the shots themselves, the the very blocky uh, staging, yeah, um, it, you it, know the, the the singular focus in the background, and yeah, it, it's, it's so well done. There's oh, a very very Kubrick in that way. Like Kubrick is. was, 
you know, you look at his movies and it was uh, literally every frame in his movies is like a, a painting. It's an in art. A lot of ways. Yeah, it is. It, absolutely. He, he yeah. was so meticulous in where everything had to be and how it had to look. And Flanagan did a good job of capturing that, but updating it for uh, a 2019 yeah. film. Yeah. So he's doing those same ideas, but it doesn't just feel it's not Gus Van Zandt remaking shot for shot psycho. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's Mike Flanagan saying, here's here's the shining, here's Kubrick, and I'm gonna I'm gonna update that. I'm gonna I'm gonna nod to it. I'm gonna use his his ideas. Um I love that shot where you mentioned you mentioned Sean, where it starts off with Danny at the chalkboard mm-hmm. and he walks to the door and the camera follows him to the door. And then he leaves and it hangs there for a second. Then it slowly goes back over to the chalkboard. Like there's so many times where shots in this movie were, were allowed to breathe and marinate a little yeah. bit and, and give you something interesting to look at. So I love that stuff. I do too. I think it's, I think it's really great. And um, I, to say that this movie is a slow burn, it kind of is a slow burn, but it's <laughs> not, but it's almost like it's a simmer as opposed to like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a complete Kubrick slow like, burn. Yeah, like the shining, the, the the pilot light is the only thing on until about the last 20 minutes of the movie, and then it gets cranked to 10. Whereas this movie mm-hmm. feels like it's constantly being ratcheted up just a little bit, little bit, until you get to the end. Um, and they did they did some interesting stuff with the heartbeat sound yeah. and using mm-hmm. that to create and help build the tension increasing the tempo decreasing the tempo so that's uh that's going to hit you on more of a subconscious level you're not going to think about it until you realize oh there's a heartbeat going on um but even like it, the cold open for the movie that starts off with rose and the little girl that's such a brilliant way to start this movie because you start it off with something that is very calm but also creepy as hell yeah yeah and then it yep. ends before you see anything so now your imagination is running wild with like what are they doing to that girl what are those people what is happening there? And now we go off and we're going to, we're going to deal with Dan for a little bit. We're going to come back to this group of people later. And the so girl's such not a great there, way to, yeah. to kick things off. Well, and, and, and you know, all the great horror, it, it's all about what you don't see. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all about what your mind creates. And, and they just do that so well in this. And it's Absolutely. just great. Uh, so a couple of notes I have before we we move on to some of our other sections because otherwise we're going to spend as long as the movie <laughs> is talking about the movie because there's again there's just so much to get into it really is and I'm I'm glad uh, and Travis you tease something uh, off air I'm going to give you an opportunity to unless you have already done it uh, I'll give you an opportunity because you said you had a soapbox you wanted to pull out um, oh I I that was my my book and movie oh that was the book and movie uh, thing soapbox yeah, yeah okay cool yeah that was me getting on my soapbox and ranting a little bit about oh, no uh, you're, you're fine the book was better yeah but it was I'm just teasing um, <laughs> I laughed out loud belly laugh when when she's doing the bit where she's been kidnapped by the crow and uh, uh, Danny is now driving her body and they're yes. talking back and yeah. forth and they're having this and she does such a great job of Acting like you and McGregor, like acting like a man. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that well, I was. I guess from, from what I read, he acted out the scene for her first. Yeah. So that she could watch oh, him. Oh, yeah. wow. And then okay. use that to inform her performance. And that's brilliant. And it's really yeah. great. Yeah. It's stuff like that is like when this is such a, a random nod. Sam will, of course, roll his eyes a little bit. But like in the movie Serenity, which is my favorite film, the, the mm-hmm. scene where Malcolm Reynolds, Nathan Fillion, is talking to. Um, oh my brain! I can't believe I just blanked on this. Um, 
my favorite film. I can't think of the character's name. The Prostitute. My gosh, I can't think of the, the Inara. 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 Wow. I had Summer in my head, and that's not right. When they're having <laughs> that conversation with Inara, she's off. She's just on the other side of the wall. They're acting together mm-hmm. in the shot so that they can play off each other and have this, this kind of funny moment. And then they just add the cut scenes with the screen post because we never see Mal in the screen at the same time very much. It's, it's kind of, yeah. Anyway, I just like that kind of thing where, where a filmmaker says, you know, we, you need to act against the other person. It's the same thing we've argued with uh, the prequels. It's okay to act with a puppet of Yoda. The fact that they're mm-hmm. acting against a tennis ball is, you know, it's why it feels, the way you do things. why yeah. it feels cold. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and that's why what's happened with filmmaking has the pendulum swung so far to everything being CG and we're swinging back to where everything is CG still. You look at a Marvel movie and 80% of that frame is built in post. Yeah. yeah. But the but stuff that they're acting against, the motion capture, especially it's still Sean so Gunn far, sitting there you can have, to be a raccoon. Yeah, you can yeah. have Mark Ruffalo on set, even if it's the Hulk that is being dealt with or yeah. – Whoever's playing, uh, you know, Josh Brolin is there, even though you're never going to see Josh Brolin. It's just Thanos. Yeah. It gives people yep. something to act off of instead of just the yeah, there's tennis a, ball and a stick. There's a, there's Here's a the great, dragon. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a great piece of trivia when they had a um, uh, blacklist actor. Um, James Spader. James Spader for Ultron. So he's wearing the harness and has his eyes up top, but... Uh, Olsen kept looking at his eyes as he's <laughs> yeah. acting because she was so kind of enamored with what he was doing that the, J- Joss Whedon kept saying, you, you need to look up. You know, like Spader keeps like pointing, like, you got to look up because I'm seven and a half feet tall. Um, I mean, in her defense, though, if I'm being talked to by James Spader, I'm going to be looking in his eyes. As well, well, sure. He's, he's an intense man. Yeah. Um, Very much so. And a little dreamy. So, the, the, so I belly laughed in that car crash. And (laughs) when he flew out that window, yeah, I love it. I, well that, and, and that kind of goes to something that we've talked about. It might've been before we recorded of setups and payoffs. Yeah. Because when she first wakes up, she notices that he's not buckled in, but you're not paying attention to that as the viewer. You're You're seeing him for the gun. You're you're seeing him reach to the gun holster. She's she's seeing that, but then the second time they show it, same movement by him, but now you've seen that she's buckled in, and he's not, and Danny, controlling her, notices that, and he uses it to his advantage. It's a, such a great setup and a great payoff, and it's such a well-done scene, because I love how Crow Daddy, he figures out pretty quickly that she's not who she's... She's not herself, yeah. and it's somebody else controlling her. And he just like it just rolls off his back. He's like, "Oh, that's a new one. I haven't seen that before." Yeah, you know, he's so calm about it because they're the true knot are so confident in their abilities, yeah. and they're so confident in what they can do that they just don't think anyone can beat them because well, no one has for however long they've been around. And and Danny through her says it in the scene you are very arrogant. And he's like, why do you mm-hmm. say that? And he's like, you, you know, but of course you're arrogant because you can live forever. That's why you didn't put on your seatbelt and then does the thing. And then it's that aerial shot and that aerial shot, but it's a top down shot. And when they hit that tree and he goes flying out like a, you know, <laughs> like a t-shirt like a out rocket, of a cannon. Like a torpedo. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it was a, uh, it was, oh, I, so I laughed. I laughed out loud. I had to mm-hmm. pause the movie. 
<laughs> um, and my wife who watches these with me, but she didn't really watch this with me. Once the, um, the baseball kid scene started to happen, I told her to stop watching. Um, yeah, I said, cause she was, moves. she was working on some, she had some other stuff she's working on. I said, you got your headphones in? And she said, no, I said, put your headphones in. Don't watch. This is going to give you nightmares. And yep. so she just kind of checked out of the movie for, for a little while. But when that scene happened, I was laughing so hard. She's like, what in the world could possibly be that funny <laughs> in this movie? And I'm Someone like, got their comeuppance. So I, I rewound it a little bit, like, you got to watch this scene. And, of course, it happened again. And I'm still laughing. And she's like, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, but not what you're doing. And I'm like, believe me, you know, if you would have <laughs> been on this emotional ride with me, like this was a right. a release. This was a payoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, the, yep. And then Absolutely. the next release, my favorite maybe not favorite, but one of my favorite moments of acting between Abra and Rose is when um Comporial Rose is there, right? With oh, yeah. the glowy eyes. And Rose sees her and she calls her a bitch, right? And then she, Rose or uh, Abra walks through her like she doesn't matter, right? Yep. Like just yeah. Yeah. Just walks through her and then um <laughs> that, Oh, it's so good. It's, it's just so the fifteen year old version of flipping her off and just yeah. walk just walks through her and keeps going. It's doesn't, great. Doesn't pay her a, a no no never mind. Um uh, last few things we mentioned really good casting. The bartender they got to do Jack Nicholson looked mm-hmm. I mean yep. I, there's there's a little bit of makeup and they put a wig on him. Um yeah. And there's, I think, something in the trivia that he watched The Shining for like, like a hundred times so he could you know, like mimic Jack's movements for the scene. Um, uh, by the way, you you know who that was, right? I don't. Uh, not off the top that was of my Henry. Head. That was Henry Thomas. You might know him from a little movie called E.T. What? No. He oh, that's Elliot. right. No, he's, he's Elliot. He's in the um. He's in the haunted ha- house on ah. Uh, Haunting of the Hill, Hill House, uh, Bly, uh, Manor. Bly Manor, yeah, Bly Manor, and all that, sort and of Hill stuff. House, yep, yeah, 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 and yeah, Dreamcatcher and Gerald's Game. He's in Gerald's Game. Everybody's yep. in Gerald's Game. Yeah, uh, but yeah. yeah so I this is another cool. one of those cases where this director and, and this group seem to do a lot of stuff together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, you, yeah. you, as a director, you find some actors you work well with. Like most of the, um, I think it was uh, it was Rose. Um, and Crow Daddy were like the only members of the True Knot that weren't in Gerald's game, or in something. I think the rest else. of them yeah. were, or or somehow yeah. related. Like they were all one part of, the, of yeah, yeah. One of them was um was his brother was uh, Jack Flanagan, Mike's brother brother mm-hmm. was uh, was one of the members. So you know, I get that. I, I kind of like when a director has you know the stable of people that they like to have show up in a in a movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. James Cameron has his, his guys. Um, freaking Scorsese. Scorsese has yep. his guys. Scorsese's got his guys. Uh, Interstellar yeah. Man. What's his name? Um, Nolan. Nolan. He has his 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 crew, and uh, Tim Burton. Like they like they all you know it's all kind of incestuous, and that's fine. It's just when when Bruce Greenwood showed up, I was like. Oh hey, you're alive. You know, you're not <laughs> naked and dead. That's good. And uh, by the way, the uh Greenwood's only got like two or three scenes. Yeah. But his scene where he hires Dan, I love the fact that that office is yeah. a exact carbon copy of the office where Jack got hired to go to the Overlook in The Shining. 
oh, right down to the color that. on the wall. Yeah. yeah. Like it, watch it again. You'll realize because I remember when I was first watching this movie, my first thought was like, God, that looks like the same room. And then I'm realizing they made the same damn room. Yeah. Like right down to where they put the flag in the, on his desk. Like all that is yeah. uh, basically a carbon copy. It was so cool. Like I, that's wow. another one of those little touches that I just love. Plus uh, Bruce Greenwood, this movie's full of people I'll watch anything between Bruce Greenwood, Cliff Curtis and Ewan McGregor. Like and they show up in something. I'm watching it. I oh, just yeah. can't help myself. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you have now read 90% of my trivia. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm good that's, that. that's good because we're we're our runtime is running the uh, uh, we're, fine. Right. we're fine <laughs> what, what's what's an hour and a half amongst friends um yeah that's right the last uh, couple of things i'll notice was it was really clever putting her in the maze um mm-hmm. as as a mm-hmm. mind trap i thought that was really clever and and then and then the payoff at the end I just I, I knew it was going to happen. Yes, it was kind of telegraphed. I knew at some point the boxes, um, Ewan McGregor's boxes, his his mind boxes were going to get opened, and he was going to weaponize them. I, I knew that was going to happen, and but I just I love the scene when she's you know she thinks she has him again. It's that arrogance, mm-hmm. right? She thinks she yep. has him. She thinks that even though she's inflicting pain, that his mind is gone and. And then when he turns the switch, because once she finds them, she has to know what it is, right? It's like, again, it's that arrogance, like, oh, if he's yep. hiding it, then it must be something I need. And then when he says what he says, and then just boom, there <laughs> oh, it is. So good. I, again, I'm kind of like, with you a little bit, Sam. It would have been kind of neat to see her suffer a little bit more, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't know. There, it would have been kind of cool to see her get terrorized a little bit, or maybe she she gets chased around the uh, the hotel for a minute. Hotel, a little, yeah, um, yeah. I could have I could have appreciated that, but yeah. but I love the fact that like Dan realized I I can't beat her by myself. As strong as we are, we probably can't do it. But I know something that prob- that might be able to. Like yeah. his whole yeah. thing of it's you know dangerous for people like us. Maybe it is for her too. And his line when he releases them is just great. Yeah. Like it's so good. <laughs> and I promise you, I captured that. Uh, the, oh, <laughs> my last note awesome. that I'm going to mention before we do need to move on is that <laughs> again, I've only watched the shining the one time and everything. It's well documented how much I loved that film, but, and I, and I mentioned last week, Sam and Sam will either deny us or confirm it, but I did say that I was hoping that this movie might inform the way that I viewed that movie. And the one thing that I never thought about when I was watching The Shining the first time was that the hotel is alive. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. movie paints it that the hotel is a thing. It is a yeah. living, breathing thing that needs to feed and can be killed. And I never thought of it in the first movie as that. I always thought of it as Jack just Multiple goes ghosts. crazy. Yeah. He just yeah. goes crazy. I never thought of it as ghosts. Again, the, Danny's the only one that sees the twins, but Jack sees everything else, and I just assumed that was his psychosis. Like he was just losing his mind. That none of it was real. None of it was real. The, the bartender, the lady ghost mm-hmm. in the shower, like none of that stuff was real actually happening. It was all in Jack's head to inform us, the viewer, of how crazy he's gotten. 
And 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 that's where the book is going to be something really interesting for you because it's more of that sure. aspect of things than it is what Kubrick did. Yeah. So that's that that kind of uh, excites me to think about. Oh, the the house is a thing. The house is alive. The mm-hmm. house, the hotel. I mean, not the house, but the hotel is a character yeah. in this thing. Yeah. Because in this movie, the hotel is the hotel kind of turns into the big bad at the end. Um, it's almost the enemy of my enemy is my friend trope. Um, yeah. kind of a thing. Basically, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like using using the Reavers to uh to yes. kill off the. Uh, Yep, so there you go. Bring it full circle. Such a great uh, look at Sam doing it. Oh yeah, my ah. gosh. Actually, you know what, Sam? I'll even help you out. It's like using yeah. the T Rex to fight the crazy dinosaur at the end of Jurassic World. There, there you go. go. It's the exact yeah, same they, thing. They, only uh, only in that the case, the, the Indoraptors were Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about Indominus Rex. Indominus Rex. Yes. Yeah. That one. I knew I'd get there eventually. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's. Uh, and I do like that movie, and I do like how at the end of the fight and the big the big sea creature has taken Indominus Rex under, and then the the, the raptor blue and the T Rex literally nod to each other like we good, yep. <laughs> all right, dog, I got you, and then, yeah. and then you know blue looks over and it's so true, it's it, 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 <laughs> it's exactly what happened, yeah, they get yeah. the the bro nod, yeah, and they they take off, we good, yeah, it, it would it would. I would have probably rolled my eyes more if the T-Rex would have then looked over at um at Star-Lord and done the same thing like, hey, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to go take a we're nap. We're good now. All right, right? We're good? Yeah, we're, we're good. good. Give him a little yeah. thumbs up with a little hand. All right. Uh, <laughs> By the way, Sean, you yeah. still need to go see Room 237 I know. on Netflix, the I documentary. Know. I think you'll gain a greater appreciation of The Shining. Um, by looking into some of the, the crazy theories that are out there about what the reason why Kubrick did what he did. Here's the thing, though. The, my first note, my absolute first note. Uh, sorry, my absolute second note. My first note was, <laughs> hey, that's the lady from Mission Impossible. Um, my second note, I guess this movie disproves the theory that Danny is the bad guy. Because mm. there's that theory mm, okay. that floats out there that if you look mm-hmm. at The Shining as Danny is the is the villain in that his... Dad, though abusive, he needed to find a way to get rid of his dad, and this was the way to do it. And organized, you know, he yeah. Danny is the one that sets it all up with the shining. Danny is the one that uses the shine to make his dad go crazy. That there's that's that fan theory. And when I heard it, I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of makes the movie more fun for me. But obviously, <laughs> this movie says no. Um, so, so I do yeah. have a question for you after watching this. Yeah. Do you either have a a better appreciation for The Shining or b a uh, a an urge to rewatch The Shining with new eyes? I have more of an urge to read the books than to rewatch okay, the movie. Um, yeah, and I probably will rewatch the movie at some point because when we got done watching it, uh, and I looked at my wife and I said, I, I do kind of want to watch it with her because uh, mm-hmm. I didn't watch it with her um, the first time. And she just kind of gave me a look, and she said, why? And I said, I think it would help me watching it kind of with you through, like, you don't know anything about that movie at all, except what scenes we saw from Ready Player One. And so, like, it'd be interesting to see, to kind of watch it again, knowing what I know now and whatever. So I do want to watch it again, not anytime soon. um, (laughs) But I'm also, I am eager to kind of get into the book, though I have to finish the Dark Tower series. Um, 
Uh, I have been Fair reading enough. the Dark Tower series, uh, and by saying reading, doing the audiobook, and it's been about eight months since I picked up an audiobook to do it. So, uh, time for this. I have some clips. I have a few clips. <laughs> I Two hours later. Two hours later, <laughs> we're playing clips. That's fine. Whatever. Here we go. Uh, push. Here's the deal, Snakebite Andy. You're a pusher. Hmm? You can push people. We haven't had a push around here for a little while, so I'm going to offer you a deal I haven't offered anyone in almost 40 years. I, I captured that clip specifically because we watched the movie Push, which is the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. The movie Push is, mm-hmm. you know, you can subject someone else, you can put an idea into someone else's head and make them do things, suggest things. And I thought that was interesting. It, it almost made me think, did... Did King get the idea of that from that storyline, or is that storyline an old trope that when you push someone, you're pushing an idea into their head, and then just they created a comic book which would lead to the movie? Hard to say because he he wrote. I mean, the book was published in 2013, I think. Yeah, Doctor Sleep. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, the movie came out. The movie push came out in '09, and the comic yeah, book. So it's hard to say that, what's so. chicken and egg, right? Yeah. Well, I think it's more like where did um where did the comic book get it from? I guess yeah. is my question. Is is that is there something else in Stephen King's repertoire that uses that phrase because he recycles so much stuff uh, subtly, right? Um and mm-hmm. we're going to talk about that in a second because uh, it's a wildly known fact that kind of everything is in the same universe, in the Stephen King universe. Like they're all kind of connected and everything relates back to the dark tower and i think that's great and i'm gonna we'll we'll get to that in just a second um i love this line i think this is great i know that my church going friends might not like this line but i think this is great our, our beliefs don't make us better people our actions make us better people I love that line i just think it's great i think it's uh yeah, that's very, a good one very no, poignant I, I'm, I'm with you on that um, I can't remember what this one is. I think this is Bruce, uh, Bruce Greenwood talking. I think I just wanted to capture Bruce Greenwood saying words. Do dying people bother you? No. We're all dying. The world is one big hospice with fresh air. That's what it was. I like that line too. One big hospice with fresh air. It's kind of sad, but I liked it. Okay. Here's our first mention um, actually, it's not his first, but this is the first saying anything out loud, um, making reference to the Dark Tower. I'm here because it all comes round. Cause a wheel, Doc. So, yep. Sam, you don't know what that means, right? I don't know. So, ka, K-A, ka is a wheel. Uh, ka is described in the trivia as destiny. That's a very limited meaning of what Ka is in the scheme of the Dark Tower. Ka is, it's more than destiny. It's um, it's like a force. It's like the force. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an unbreakable vow. It's, it's both magic and real and, um, and all of those things and destiny, but it's not. So there's another, some of the trivia mentions, um, like there's lots of trivia talking about the dark tower and how it's all connected. Uh, like the bus line that brings him to 
the little town in New Hampshire is called Tet Travels or Tet Bus. Yep. The word Tet, T-E-T, is also a meaning in the Dark Tower. A Ka-Tet is the group of the, that's what their group is called. Tet meaning group and Ka meaning the destiny or the the whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that's what that means. That's what that homage is. So I just, when I, when I, when I heard that Ka is a wheel and I thought, oh man, because it's the same thing when we did Gerald's game and when she's having a conversation with Bruce Greenwood post death, Bruce Greenwood, and he says the phrase, uh, everything follows the beam. I captured it too. Cause it's the same thing. It's, it's again, a reference to the dark tower. Okay. Here's, um, him saying really terrifying things. You'd be long dead. They eat screams and drink pain. And they've noticed that little girl. Such a great line. It's so scary and visceral. Again, Carl Lumley, just put him in everything. I don't care what, I don't care if he's, he's doing, uh, John Jones, dad in Supergirl. I don't care if he's, uh, an old super soldier and Falcon and winter soldier. Like yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter. Let him be in everything. Cause he's, he's awesome. He's so good. <laughs> just that, that line of eat screams and drink pain. Oh, you know, it's yeah. just, ah, oh, it's so good. Um, I captured this line because this is an awkward phrase because of, it's just an awkward two words to say together. All right, bitch child, bitch child. When you have the CH followed by a CH, like, yeah, I don't know if that was written in the script or in the book, but I mean, obviously it was written in the script, but I don't know if that was in the book. But I, when she said that, I thought, hmm, can we take a different, let's say something different. <laughs> bitch kid. <laughs> bitch, you know, I just, we're going to go with that one. All right. Well, bitch I mean, child. Sure. I mean, she's great. And she says the line in such a way that you're like, you know, she's about to turn it to 11, but it's still mm, bitch child. Little. Oh, okay. Well, and her accent is really interesting in the whole movie because yeah. it's kind of not, it doesn't really fit anywhere, yeah. which is fitting of her character. So, but yeah, that was, that one was, it just sounds weird. It's the, it's the way those sounds go together. Yeah. It just doesn't quite. It work. is. Yeah. It's just a CH followed by another CH. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Here it is. Uh, what are you hiding? Huh? Uh, What's in those? Something special, huh? They're not special. They're starving. <laughs> I love it. Starving. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. And it's great because he, he takes control of the moment, right? Once it's time to spring the true trap, he physically is able, he's able to regain control, even though he had an ax to the leg, right? He, mm-hmm. he, he pushes her back, regains control, and then releases her. And all of a sudden, there the, there's the old creepy ghost lady standing there and just time to, time to eat. Mm-hmm. Oh, they put like well, somebody put their hand under her skin on her face. Yeah, yeah. Like, like oh god. Yeah, it was. Ugh. It would actually. She, no she one may not would have, have suffered been, long enough, but boy, was it rough. It would have yeah. been interesting to see since um, so much of the torture is in the brain, you know, in the matrix, right? Like, it would have been interesting to see her get like thrown into her mind castle and having the ghosts do stuff to her in her mind. As opposed to yeah. physically on the floor inside the Overlook, that might have yeah. Been, but at the same time, we've seen the rest of the members of the True Knot die, you know, cycle as they call it. Yeah, in yeah. in reality, so I kind of get why they went that way. Yeah, I get it too. Yeah. Anyway, I just want her to be to have suffer. more pain. Yeah, yeah. her suffer yeah, more. No, That's all she, I want to see. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm all with right, you on that. 
Time for what little trivia I have left. And now for some more bad news. <laughs> Ready? All right. Uh, Danny Lloyd, who played the character Danny Torrance in The Shining, makes a cameo in this movie at the baseball game and is listed in the credits as spectator. Yep. Oh, wow. I thought so that was cool. He didn't, um, he also, didn't, uh, fun fun fact is that could have been somebody that you and I, yeah. uh, Sean, know, which is Brian Ibbett, because he was in the running for that that role. Yeah, one of the podcasts that we both <laughs> listen to, and Travis has guest hosted on uh, the morning stream. One of the, the co-hosts was like the last 10 kids to be in that, because yep. he's from Denver. Mm. Uh, so you already mentioned that one and that one, so I'll say this one. <laughs> There are a few Dark Tower references in the film. The bus line that both Danny and Abra take is called Tet. The bass player, sorry, baseball player's number is 19. The place where one of the True Knots victim is killed is called Lamarck Industries. And Dick Halloran refers to Ka when talking to Danny about the karmic debts. Now, there's one more that I think that's not mentioned in any of the trivia, and I'm shocked. And that's the train. The train in the mm-hmm, in the playground makes has a it's that's Charlie the Choo Choo. As soon as yeah. I saw it on screen, I pointed to my wife and I was like, "That's Charlie the Choo Choo." And um, fun side story: I did not know this, but in the book in the the the, the wastelands on the Dark Tower, the 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 kid finds. Um, he finds this book at the bookstore, and it's the the Charlie the Choo Choo book, right? And um, so I read the book, whatever. Fast forward five months, we're in the middle of the pandemic, which we're still in the middle of, and we go to the, the public library, where my son goes over to the section and picks a book about trains, and it's the freaking book. <laughs> I didn't know it was real, that Stephen <laughs> King put a real book in his story. So when Declan, my son, he pulls it out. He goes, hey, look at this. I'm like, oh, my gosh. It even says featured in the story of the Dark Tower. And so I asked my son the question that's asked in the Dark Tower. Not a spoiler, Sam, if you ever want to read this. I just just said, hey, Declan, look at the passengers on that train. Tell me what they're (laughs) feeling. And he looks at me and goes, some of those kids look scared, Daddy. And I said, yes, they do. And like, like it just sent chills up my spine because like that's this big point of the story. Not a big point, but it's a part of the story that the 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 author of this story created this thing, and it's just anyway. But that train has is again, it's another reference to another Stephen King thing, and I'm surprised that one, it's not mentioned more in the story in the movie, and two, it's not mentioned in trivia. But that's fine. Uh, all right, time for this. Excuse me while I whip this out. Top three. Well, we did The Shining two years ago, and technically we did Haunted Buildings as our yes. top three. So um, we've already done Ewan McGregor movies. We've done Psychics. We've done Powered People. Uh, so we're kind of circling back around, and specifically we're going to do Haunted Houses. Movies that feature haunted houses. So if you think we're cheating, well, you can suck it. That's fine. Um, Sam. All right. Um, so I obviously have a um, honorable mention for the Hill House and and the way um, our, our lovely, I can't remember his name. Oh, I'm horrible with that. 
um, hid ghosts the entire season. Um, that it's a heck of a lot of fun to go back and try to find them and to uh, see how you might have missed them. But definitely <laughs> Hill House. I've got the Maitland home. Did anybody go on a venture or guess where the Maitland home is located? In Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, right? The Freeling House in uh, Poltergeist, which apparently was a haunted house for real with mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. they started bringing in real skeletons. Um, and then um, probably one of my favorite scary movies recently is The Perron Home in The Conjuring. I see. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, those are my top three. All right. Those are good. Yeah. I like them. Travis? Uh, so I do, I have an honorable mention. I'm going to give it at the end of my three. Sure. Um, okay. So I have, I have three, uh, they're not just houses. I do have the Overlook Hotel because no problem. it is, it is <laughs> haunted as hell. It's also based on a real hotel, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to go is, there one of these days. I yeah. would, I would too, just to, just to say I went there. Like that would just yeah. be great. Um, yeah. but you, you can't, you can't list haunted locations and not have the, the Overlook hotel. Um, a second one is actually from an episode of Dr. Who. Uh, and it was a, an episode of Dr. Who called the God complex where they are in a haunted hotel or a seemingly haunted hotel because there's, uh, rooms changing and doors change and all this kind of weird stuff going on. And I just remember that episode really well. Um, and I don't even remember what the hotel was called, but it was from the, the God complex. It was a Matt Smith, Dr. Who episode. Um, and I just really liked, plus they had a really cool, uh, like Minotaur alien creature at the end of it. That was neat. And then my third is, uh, the Nostromo from alien. Oh, okay. Because that's a haunted house in space. And Hmm. that, that ship is such a integral part of why that movie is so, is such a good horror movie. Um, with the way that it was, and it, it, it did. It also was very influential in the design of ships in sci-fi movies moving forward where they all look like giant basements. So I kind of <laughs> like that. Uh, now, my honorable mention is a um, a bit of a mashup of the Nostromo and the Overlook, and that's the Event Horizon. The Event Horizon. Oh, also, I was wondering if you were going to go there. Yeah. yeah. Um, because Let's get some faces melting off. Let's just- well, yeah, because you've got the – it's the ship, it's in space, but then it's also a living, breathing thing in its own right much like the overlook. So it's a mashup of the two and that's why it gets my honorable mention. Yep. Isn't the ship itself named the event horizon? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember if the name of the ship was called that or not. Cause as soon as you said the one from alien, I was like, Ooh, what was the name of the ship? from <laughs> Event horizon. <laughs> that horizon. Cause yeah. I was going to add that to my <laughs> list, but you took it. Um, so uh, the only ones that I have that ha- – well, the only one that I have that hasn't been said because I had Beetlejuice and The Conjuring also. And so I wrote The, the Grudge is the only other one I, I did that hasn't been mentioned. Mm, yeah. uh, That's a good one too. That was the last movie I saw in the theater that legitimately – it legitimately scared me. So yeah, I saw that in a theater and the shot that slowly pans and you hear the sound – and you know, you know what you're gonna see. You, you. I'm sitting in the theater, and I know exactly what this shot is. And it's a slow pan right to left, and then there's gonna be the Grudge Kid on the stairs because you're hearing that that sound. I was trying to crawl out of my seat in the theater, like getting away from the screen. I was just like, like, like there was something slowly crawling out. It was the weirdest 
it's such a visceral memory for me. Like I was just <laughs> scooting up my seat trying to get out of the way. And and it takes so long for that damn scene. I'm just like, <laughs> I know what I'm going to see and I don't want to see it, but I can't stop watching. Yeah. Nice. So that one sticks with me. The, the, the part that got me was when, um, when the little boy screamed like a cat. Yeah, that was that was that was, that was pretty effective for me, and because I was in college at the time of that movie, and my roommate, we had a, we lived in a, in a townhome, so we had an apartment above us, and my roommate he had a black cat. So my wife, my then girlfriend, now <laughs> wife, we we get back to the apartment, and we're getting ready to go to bed, and neither one of us can sleep, and all of a sudden I hear the the footsteps of his cat upstairs <laughs> running around and I went upstairs I'm like dude get your cat under control because I'm not in the mood tonight. He's <laughs> <laughs> like um okay. So That's uh, great. Yes. All right. Um I have no uh we have no entries from Twitter. Uh Twitter oh, apparently well, doesn't like uh, tonight. Yeah, I don't know why. Just people don't like me no, on you Twitter can, anymore. You can blame me for that one. I'll take the I'll take the L there. Not sure why, but okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's it. So time for oh this. Um, Wait, what's supposed to happen? This is where right, I, Sam. I'm not gonna lie. There was a moment where I'm like, did I just forget Andrew? But he's not here. So <laughs> I, I have forgotten him several times. And I oh, and I, he he he's not living, letting you live that down. He really so. isn't. Nor Good should he. And that's okay. So this is where we're going to give the, the 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 movie a score from zero to ten. Okay. Uh, feel free to uh, embrace the decimal. That's what I'll say. And um, I'll let you, Travis, go first. I am going to give this an eight point nine out of ten. 8.9. I just okay. Just dig the hell out of this movie. It's just it's everything I want in a horror movie. I'm much more of a build atmosphere, build the world, creep me out, not jump scare and. And it had the right level of gore to be difficult without being too much for me. Mm-hmm. Plus, it, plus, I mean, if nothing else, for the, the, the horrific scene of, of killing Baseball Boy and Baseball how Boy. effective that was. So, yeah, 8.9 out of 10. All right, Sam? There are some scenes uh, from this movie that, that will stick in my brain baseball kid of course is is certainly one of them the the beauty of the scene of her flying through the air mm. um to the house um is also something that i just thoroughly enjoyed and and that's that's why when i realized i was watching it in the wrong medium um and needed a, a bigger screen uh, to to see it um love the ideas in this movie love the love the the, the shining aspect love that they didn't get hokey with it um, and, and, and I, I would recommend this thing. It's, it's a great, great movie. Uh, I, I, 8.432 out of 10 for me. Okay. I uh, embrace the decimal with 360 something episodes. You gotta, I gotta break ties. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought this was amazing. And in fact, I texted uh, Sean earlier today. I had to go to, to a class. And I had to leave right after you realized that they had drugged the teddy bear instead of oh. instead of the girl. And I was so upset. And I was like, I couldn't believe I had to leave at that exact same moment and not knowing what was going on and, and you know, excited to see what would happen next. So um, I haven't been like that in the movie in a long time where I just I, I totally 
totally enjoyed it. That's awesome. Also, uh, yeah, that poor teddy bear got uh, green needle <laughs> to the neck. <laughs> yeah, it felt did. bad. I felt uh, or bunny rabbit. I felt bad. Bunny for rabbit. Bunny yeah. rabbit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm not said. Also, there's a there's another reference to the um, dark tower. The balloons in her room spell the word ka k a. So it's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so I I can cheat. I can scroll back and look uh, at our list of movies and and see kind of what I gave other movies. So, so for example, I can go back and see that I gave. Train to Busan a seven point six and Gerald's Game a six point eight, and I gave. Uh, well, I got to go back even farther for The Shining. I gave The Shining a six point one. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Sam, you gave it a six point six six. It's not like you loved it. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 way yeah. more than I did. Oh, that was weird. Um, but I really, really liked this movie. I think this movie is really, really good. I think more people need to see it. If you're listening mm-hmm. to this show and you have not seen it, you need to watch it. Now, again, it's not streaming. So wait until you know November or whatever, and it gets put back on HBO when she gets past October. Find a way to watch this movie. It's really good. And honestly, yeah. I'm really hoping that if HBO gets it back, um, they also get the director's cut. I want to watch the director's yeah, cut. I really I will do. watch it again, absolutely, with yeah, the director's this, cut. I want to see mm-hmm. it. This movie makes Same. me want to do more things. Like this movie makes me want to read the book and and yep. and and watch more stuff. A lot of movies don't do that. A lot of movies don't make me want to do extra homework, but I really want to to do that. So uh again, in comparison to some other things that I've seen recently, um I don't know. I just I'm going to give this a 9.1. Oh wow! And okay, that's, that's nice. That's pretty high. I mean, I'm, I'm putting it over Terminator Two. Now, Terminator Two is more watchability, more rewatchability. But I just there's something about this movie that just hits me in the right spot. I love the the, the psychic parts and the mind things, and the, I just this movie just got me in the right spot. I don't know what it was, but man, it did. So yeah. nine point one, really liked it. Seriously, go watch this movie. My gosh, what are you doing? All right. Uh, last couple things here I have to play. Uh, which clip sh- sound clip should I do? I'm going to play this one. Stop eating my sesame cake. This is where we play the quote game. <laughs> I have a giant quote board, uh, movie quotes, uh, 101 classic movie quotes. Last week was yippee ki yay, Mr. Falcon. Oh, and, that's a good one. And uh, yeah. yeah, again, you know. I have free stickers here for you, the listener. If you, <laughs> listener, who's listening now, literally sends me a message through Facebook or Twitter, or some of you have my phone number. Um, I feel like this is the SNL Jeopardy skit where he's trying to get them to write actual yeah. numbers. <laughs> Just write your name. Anything. Yeah. So here's the quote for this week. Number 37. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. That's the <laughs> quote. You just tell me what movie that's from. If you want extra points and tell me who says the line, I'll throw in a second sticker. All you have to do Double. is message me. I will send you a sticker. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, I mean, how can you say no to that? How can you say no to that? Well, people have been saying no to it for 37 times. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, that's it. That's that's our show, right, Sam? Is there anything else I have to yeah. do? Uh, that's it. This is where I mm-hmm. then give you, Travis, an opportunity to tell people where we can find you 
and your show and all the other things about what makes TV's Travis, TV's Travis. Uh, so yeah, I, tvstravis.com, uh, is my website and that's where I host my main show, which is wait, you haven't seen. And it's a, a podcast about watching movies and somebody watching it for the first time. Um, so it's always, uh, it's always fun. It doesn't always have to be my guest that is seeing something for the first time. I've had, uh, guests bring me things that, um, I never would have watched like Amelie or the triplets of Belleville are two movies that I never would have watched on my own. They're amazing, and they're some of my favorite things that I've seen in the last few years. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It uh, comes out um, on Wednesdays uh, at uh, tvstravis.com, anywhere you can get podcasts. I do stream it live as well on Sunday nights if you want to catch it live uh, at Twitch, twitch.tv slash tvstravis. And um, you're coming on in a few weeks. Yes. And, uh, and I'm going to get you to watch Leon, the professional. That's right. Because so, I've, right. I've never That'll seen it. That'll be a trip. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward so much that I forgot to put it in my calendar, and I am scared. <laughs> uh, it's okay. I would have reminded you. <laughs> yeah, I know you would have. Oh, man. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, and I'll put, I'll put the links to your website, tvstravis.com, on our show notes and things like that. Absolutely. And, and any social media platform, I'm going to be TV's Travis on it, whether it's Twitch, Twitter, uh, Instagram, I post pictures of my dog. That's pretty much it that I put up there. Um, I'm most active on Twitter, and, and I love to get into conversation. So if you want to talk about movies uh, or, or anything like that, uh, I also do a show on Highlander, the series, um, because to me that is one of the better shows out of the 90s. Um, we're midway through season three of that. There was five, six seasons of that show, believe it or not. So... Uh, my friend Audie and I are going episode by episode through that. That's been a ton of fun. Um, so I'll talk Highlander. I'll talk uh, movies, music, whatever. I, I don't care. Just I love to interact with people on Twitter. So Twitter is TV Stravis. Yeah, and he's he's being very sincere in that. One of the first communications I had with him was saying that uh, I disagreed with him on his point of view for the movie Book of Eli. And we had a nice little conversation about how much he was wrong. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am perfectly capable of being wrong quite a bit. Uh, you're not wrong. It was, uh, <laughs> uh, I just, I, again, that's a movie that just hits all the right, right buttons for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our show. Next week we are doing the conjuring Two. We did the conjuring mm-hmm. last year. I think Sam, right. It was last, yep. last year. Yep. We're doing the conjuring so. Two. So we don't often do... No, it wasn't last year. Dang, it was two years ago. Two years ago. 2019. <laughs> um, last year was, was a pandemic year, so yeah, yeah. we kind of just I lost forgot. our way. Uh, so uh, I, I say this before, and I'm going to say it again. Um, our, our Halloween uh, months of, 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 of cheap scare reviews, Halloweens, have been... They're usually pretty hit or miss, right? There usually is something interesting, and then there's usually something really bad. So far, I think we're doing pretty good. I mean, Blade, you know, Blade last week is... Blade's Blade. It's Blade, yeah, it's, like, it's but, but we know what it action. is. Like, we know what it is. So I don't think of that as, like, a bad film. It's fine. It's what it is. And the next week is The Conjuring 2. So we'll see if the uh, streak continues of having good movies. So, I'll say this about Blade. If we didn't have Blade in the 90s, we probably don't have Deadpool. Yeah. The way that we do. Yeah, Blade, I, Blade walked so that some of these other R-rated superhero movies could run. Yeah, like Blade, Blade blazed the trail. 
Well, and Blade literally, Blade 3, allowed Ryan Reynolds to get into a movie with swords and say funny things. I mean, it... it, it, Yeah, and that's about the only good thing that movie did. That's correct. That is 100% correct. Um, But (laughs) there you go. Uh, That's our show. I have nothing more to say other than thank you so much for listening to our show. Cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com is our, our site where you can find all 366 other episodes that we've done. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cheap seat reviews at cheap seat cast is Twitter. Uh, emails. If you ever want to do one of those things again, cheap seat reviews at gmail.com. And um, <laughs> we do take requests uh, though. We pretty much always have a guest now, which has been great. And, um, and speaking of again, Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was a blast. Absolutely. Yep. I I knew we were going to have a good conversation. I had no idea it was going to go this long. I edit nothing. <laughs> this is all going to air. This is great. So on behalf of Travis and Sam and Andrew, who says hi and wishes he was here, this is Sean saying thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Reviews.